You're listening to the Sales Process Excellence Podcast with Michael Webb. B2B sales and marketing works to find the highest quality prospects, reach decision makers, and sell value. Operational excellence uses data and systems thinking to make changes that cause improvement and eliminate waste. My name is Michael Webb, and this is the Sales Process Excellence Podcast. In the next 30 to 40 minutes, we're going to destroy the myth that these two groups conflict and show you how to bring both strategies together to create more wealth for your company and your customers. Hello, this is Michael Webb, and I am thrilled today to be able to introduce you to Bob Lambert. Bob is the president and, I believe, co-founder of Samurai Business Group. Is that right, Bob? Yep. Okay. And, boy, we've known each other since my days back in Chicago more than 10 years ago. Please uh, tell the audience uh, what Samurai Business Group does and how you got to this. Well, thanks, Michael. First of all, for uh, having me on. You're right; we've been we've been friends and and uh, trying to conquer this thing called sales and metrics and all the rest of it. But uh, Semi Business Group was started up in '01. Uh, it was my fourth startup company, which is no longer a startup. And for the last close to 20 years, what we've done is kind of flip the coin on the whole sales process, and that is about how people buy versus how you sell them. And I kind of jokingly tell people today, I kind of feel like Willie Nelson. That was over, you know. A, 25-year overnight hit, uh, you know, being out in the honky-tonk from juke bars because uh, all of a sudden he was a big, you know, I've been talking, we've been talking about this for over 20 years and all of a sudden we're seeing the direction things starting to change at the buyer's journey, you know, it's about the buy and all that stuff. But what we set out to do, Michael, back then was to change really what classic sales training had been. My partner and I had been through a lot of sales training, a lot of leadership training. And we, we just kept thinking it was going against what we really basically want to do. And that was relationships with human beings. Because when you boil it all down, and the whole essence of what we're talking about here is exactly that, because human beings are buying something. And so through neuroscience and behavioral science and a lot of uh, studies, not our own stuff, because it wasn't self-serving, uh, is taking the, view, uh, the viewpoint of the buyer uh, when they're making this kind of decision uh, to buy. And what that really started to manifest itself in, there is a process. There's a system people go through all over the planet, uh, pretty much always the same type of way that they go through it, but there's no two people that do it the same way. And you won't do it the same way a second time. So there's a discreet way that you go through this process, and we block that out in our buying decision model. And um, we've had the privilege and honor now of being affiliated with DePaul University for over 18 years in their Center for Sales Leadership. That is the number one sales curriculum in the country now has been for some time leading the charge. When we started with them, only 30 college universities had even a sales class or curriculum. Today, there's over 160. So we're very proud of the fact that we were um, invited in to be a part of that curriculum and then also invited into about six years ago to put together a semester-long case based on the buying decision model that we created. Hmm. That's a very successful track record. So, um, I've already got three questions here in my head I, I want to ask you about. So let's start with this one that we had mentioned um, I mean, before we got on the show here. The idea is there's been some substantial sea changes in the market, in the economy, in the last uh, 20 years. And as you're pointing out, the way that you sell um, seems to have changed. What What are the big changes that you've seen and why are they such challenges? 
Well, without question, 1995 was a pivotal turning point. When we published the book in 2010, How to Put the Wind Back in Your Sales, it really was an introduction of how the internet has impacted sales. Uh, it's really, uh, you know, mitigated the whole sales process, the whole upfront process. You know, up until 95, if you wanted to buy something, generally speaking, a buyer would, and I'm talking about, you know, um, the marketplace and, and uh, corporations, yeah, they business, would business, really right? have to invite business to business. They would have to invite salespeople in to get the information because they had the keys to the kingdom at that point. Right. You know, and that turned dramatically with the internet, with all the Google and the information that's available now. Buyers know more about you, your products, your services, your competition, your pricing before you even walk in the door. So you better be prepared when you're walking in there to find out through a discovery process what is it that the buyer's really looking for. And they'll tell you if you let, let them. Our method facilitates that. Well, and that really, when you start thinking about focusing on human beings and not on products or services, that was a big tipping point because buyers today want to understand what you're going to do for them. What's in this for me if I do business with you? And I'm not, they're not doing any business with anybody they don't trust. So fundamentally, what we get to is the relationship because corporations don't buy, people do. They buy for their own reasons and they buy in their own self-interest. And so through the body of research and the work we've done, and, and of course, thousands of people we've had through the program, this becomes really kind of a uh, self-revealing thing once people start to realize that when you get on that side of the table and you make this a joint kind of thing, it's not a we-they thing. It's us versus them. It's we together are going to help to find some kind of resolution or solution to some of these issues you're having. Hmm. And what we've identified is uh, three apparent reasons why somebody will even have a conversation with you that lead to three what we call compelling reasons why they'll buy. And we know now through empirical data and also studies now that people buy, do buy emotionally, they intellectually justify that decision. Um, and what that looks like is basically that when you are emotionally connected to something and you can talk about any kind of a number of things that you're emotionally connected to, even the most hardcore uh, procurement agents I've, I've interviewed and been with, will relate that because when I start to share with them, the salespeople have called on you, the ones you have bought from, what is distinct about them? And invariably, it's, the, it's a human connection. It's an emotional connection that they go to and why they buy from these people. It could be that they've got my back. They always have my interest at heart. You know, they bring me new information. Uh, they are constantly thinking about us in ways that, you know, uh, to do, you know, improve the business outside the scope of what they may even provide. You know, I published a um, an article, and uh, you know, this is a freebie for anybody who wants it, called "Beyond Trusted Advisor: Becoming a Trusted Asset." And in that, I lay out basically what this thing is and what it's about to become a trusted asset to somebody. You know, viewed as useful and valuable person, or an advantage and a resource relationship are built on mutual trust, character, and confidence go beyond business. Proactively provide business building opportunities from divergent resources. Uh, their guidance has pr proven profitable and expanded the scope as a result or a resource to the customer. They go beyond what is expected. They establish a level of trust through honor, service, and commitment. And this is global uh, research stuff that we got on the side of buyers talking about the, there's only 4% of salespeople around the world that are, are rated as being excellent. And when we dug under the covers to that and understand why did you rate these people excellent, 
they didn't use the word salesperson. They didn't even use the word account manager or anything. They, it, it, the part of our staff, part of my team. And then the three words that really stuck or the three uh, descriptors that really stuck to me was they're a trusted advisor, they're a trusted asset, and they're a trusted resource. That goes okay. beyond sales. Um, oh, absolutely. It goes to all sorts of things. So, so let me switch the context just a little and now mm-hmm. ask the question of the challenges that places on, on the salespeople. If I'm a, a young person and I'm in this profession of sales and I'm working for a company, um, there's some huge challenges I face. My company may or may not understand that the market has changed from 25 years ago, right? And the company yep. may or may not make it easy for me to understand the customer and build a trusted advisor relationship. I mean, as you've talked with these folks who come into your classes, because you do public classes as well as corporate mm-hmm. classes, what do you think are the biggest challenges that the salespeople themselves face? Well, without question, you know, getting prospects. I mean, that's the number one thing in all their uh, their minds is how do I get better prospects? How do I do a better job of prospecting? You know, how do I get in front of decision makers? You know, all the typical classical things. And I'm still absolutely amazed at how people are still pushing cold calls. I mean, it's the biggest waste of time I've ever seen. And today, more so than ever before, because A, people aren't using the phone like they used to. B, the voicemail is almost going the way of the dodo bird. Um, people are getting bombarded and overwhelmed with all kinds of marketing campaigns. I mean, it's just unbelievable to me. I get solicited all the time from marketing people, you know, that they have, how they got my email address, whatever, for, for them to be able to market me. And I think to myself, if why would I use you if you're violating a basic trust premise in the first place? I never gave you permission to even talk to me about this stuff. So I don't know about you, but, I, you know, my inbox i've I've really clamped down on it but you know what's happening now is we just become numb to all this and so today personal relationships and getting to people through networks and getting through personal introductions and personal referrals that's where the game's at and that takes time and what i'd share with you is the new generation of young people coming in they grew up as digital natives and they don't understand this whole personal relationship kind of thing and Hmm. how to go about that the communication skills are, are tough. Uh, and I'm not going to, I'm not being disparaging about this. This is well documented, you know. Um, but, you know, that's one of the areas too that we're working with a lot of these young people on is to basically get in front of people, have a real meaningful conversation, show empathy and compassion and interest in other people. You know, there's a lot being talked about EQ and IQ today. Well, guess what? Big companies are starting to realize that that's a huge part of what they have to do. Not only from the internally within the organization, but externally, certainly with clients or prospects or anything else, they've got to, they got to get this thing nailed down. So I would share with you that the digital revolution, while it's been great and it's given us a lot of information, a lot of data and everything like that, it's almost too much now. There's a kind of a pushback now. I was just reading an article where people are just getting themselves off the grid. They're tired of it. You know, so <laughs> the real question challenge is really how do you now get to these people that are decision makers? They're out there. They're checking things out. LinkedIn has gone a big way. You know, I was in the first hundred thousand LinkedIn when I saw that thing coming because I go back to days where I was hiring clipping services. I was doing everything I could possibly do to be relational to people that, uh, you know, I, I have what I call Bob's Law of 20, that you touch 20 people in your database per week. 
Now, the math that comes out of that is absolutely astounding because a lot of people don't really realize the geometric explosion of getting to people. Here's how it goes, Mike. You touch 20 people a week, the average work weeks in this country are 48. That's 960 touches to somebody. And it's actually that, touch. I don't care if it's carrier pigeon, drone, email, text, voicemail, whatever, you're touching these people that you already know they're in your database or that you've got introduced to. Mm-hmm. Now, when you think about this, it is well documented that the average person walking, an adult person in the United States today knows over 250 people. Now, when you think about 96, 960 touches times 250, that's a quarter of a million people. And people don't realize how these nodes in, in, in population explode. Now, you, you take and cut that in half, 250,000, 240,000, 120, cut it in half again, that's 60, cut it in half again. I've gone four layers deep to 30,000 people. Maybe there's somebody within 30,000 people need to know you and you need to know them. And well, um, I've been doing that for a long time. Doesn't it depend on like how you communicate your message? I mean, a message that communicates something that from the other person's point of view is something that they really want is going to be way well, more effective than something. And that can be hard to come up with, right? Well, here's the deal. You have to understand something. These aren't just business contacts. This is everybody you know. Because what I have found over doing this a long, long time is people shut down. And, oh, my cousin's a plumber. Or, or Joe is this. And Sally's this. So they can't help me. You're wrong. You do not know who somebody knows. Okay? And that's where I, I really help people understand. And by the way, these touches are touches. It could be an anniversary, happy birthday. It could be an article that somebody just saw. All you're doing is touching them. What is amazing about that, what happens out of that? This just happened to me, a guy that I hadn't talked to for about uh, three or four years. I left him a voicemail. He got right back to me. And it, well, it's something like this. You know, I said, you know, I start on that side of the desk. I always want to engage them in the conversation. What's going on with you? Well, come to find out, he had another child. They got a grandchild. You know, all these other things are going on. He was in a job transition. And uh, I was able to understand what was going on with him and how, how I could help him. Well, invariably, the conversation then tipped back on me. He said, hey, Bob, what's going on with you? Briefly, I'm glad you asked. I could use your help. And I shared with him some of the initiatives that I'm doing and how he might be able to help me. Now, his contacts now and everybody he's got, I sent him a couple things. And now he can take and virally get that out to other people that know him and trust him and will read that stuff. And all of a sudden, through that, you know, a halo of trust that he has with other people, now I'm being introduced into his network. Uh, a, a, a real good example of this was uh, a number of years ago, I got invited in to do a big conference in D.C., and it was um, an international conference, and it was over Memorial Weekend, and, uh, thinking, why, why in the world are you planning something on Memorial Weekend? Well, a lot of these people from were outside the United States, so it wasn't their holiday. So um, with that, I, I, I got this gig, and I'm going to be in front of thousands of people doing a workshop and all that kind of stuff. It was a great gig. So I belonged to a CEO forum group, a peer group, um, that the following week is we have a check-in as to how, you know, once a month we check in with each other, how we're doing both business and family-wise. And so it came my turn. I said, hey, look, I just scored this big gig. It's going to be over Memorial Weekend, months away. And uh, But I got a bit, of a bit of an issue with it. My young son and my family, we're going to take, because you know, I'm being put up in a five-star, uh, I want to take the family too and, and make it a, you know, a nice holiday for us in D.C., and so my young son, knowing that I was this networking guy and I knew a lot of people, he says, well, Dad, he says, I don't suppose you could get us a, a personal tour of the White House. Wow, there's a challenge. So in that meeting, 
I've shared with them, I got this gig, but here's my challenge. My young son wants me to try to be able to get a personal tour of the White House while we're there. I don't suppose anybody sitting at the table here would know somebody like that. Guy sitting directly across the way from me, Scott, said, yeah, I do. I was just there in D.C., spent 20 minutes with Barack and Michelle and the kids and had a personal tour of the White House. And I'm looking at it and my eyes are bugging him. I said, how in the world did you do something like that? And he says, my college roommate was the director of tours of the White House. I said, hey, I don't suppose you could help a guy out here, could you? And sure enough, that was an introduction that was made uh, to be able to do that. So, you know, it's those kind of things, uh, you know, Michael, that people don't really understand how all this stuff works. That's just one example of now that you shared with or you you put my lap here is what's the challenges today? That's the big one of the biggest challenges. How do you get to people? And it's not about you. It's about them. To your point. What's the message? If you're doing it as far as a, a message, outbound message, trying to communicate, I'm simply advocating just touch people. Touch people you know. And you'll be surprised what can come back to you. Out well, of but, but obviously, touching them with something that's of value to them is going to be more effective mm-hmm. than, you know, something that's not. Well, guess what? It's a value to somebody if it's their birthday and I, I put the note out there. I take the time to write them a note or a personal hand, handwritten note or something like that. What kind of thing what do you think happens out of that? And these are, again, these aren't all just pure business contacts. I want people to get their heads screwed on straight that every person is valuable as far as contacts go. And so you really have to look at it that way as to how can you help them? Okay, good. So, so let's take this a little further because you just touched on mm-hmm. something that's a very profound and universal principle uh, within process excellence or operational excellence, and that's respect for mm-hmm. people. And respect for people means respect for what they think and how they think. And that means having some insight or attempting to learn something about what they want and what they value. So, yes, sending someone a nice birthday message and so forth, those are are nice things to do. But it strikes me that companies could do a better job to give their salespeople methods of doing this that are highly professional and highly um, valuable to customers that lead that attract the kinds of prospects and customers that um, that company wants, right? And and so as an example, let me just run this by you and 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 mm-hmm. see what you think about this. One of my clients, uh, and and for those of you on the podcast, you've heard this story before. Um, it's a, a company up in Southern Michigan called Burr Oak Tool. And a very technical industry. They sell um, capital equipment uh, that makes the components of heat exchangers, right? The the radiator fins like you have in your car or your air conditioner uh, outside. Um, And these presses are very customizable. So it takes an engineer to sell it. And the engineer has to do three, four, five, six, seven iterations of the quotations to sell these things, right? Um, And they were coming out with a new, just a brilliantly new design product that would revolutionize a portion of the industry. And they decided to put up on their webpage a configurator that would allow people to enter some basic information about their production operation. You know, what kind of metal substrate do they use? Are the pipes made of copper or aluminum or some other metal? How many different 
stock-keeping units and changeovers do they do in a shift? Do they run 24 hours a day or, you know, two shifts a day or one shift a day? Basic questions like that. And then it would give that customer a cost per part compared to three of their best competitors. Didn't price the machine, but it was able to size it within one of the three basic categories or versions of this machine and give them a pretty decent approximation of the uh, cost per part that they would incur. They put that up on the web page. Now, this is a mature industry. The salespeople know all the companies that buy this stuff, right? But in the first 90 days, I know I think it was six weeks actually that this web page was up there. Three engineers from different countries around the world that they'd never heard of before. They'd never met these people, and and I think a couple of them were even new companies. Filled out this form, and they were now qualified prospects for the sales engineers to talk to, and they were ready to talk about specific uh, projects that their companies were doing. And the salesperson didn't have to make a visit, didn't have to do two or three or four quotes, right? A lot of the work was done for them because the company came up with an offer that was valuable to the customers that helped guide the salespeople to those prospects who were the, the best ones for them to be talking to right now. That's mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Is that, does that yeah, fit absolutely. in with your philosophy, right? Yeah, absolutely, without question. I mean, there's you know a lot of different paths to get to <laughs> to the destination. I'm not advocating that this is the end all and be all. All I'm saying is it's part of the mix of things to be done: the social selling, you know, the uh, social marketing uh, website. All these things are in combination. You know, back in my day when I had my marketing agency, you know, we had four big basic disciplines: that we had advertising, sales, promotion, public relations, and direct marketing. We were basically agnostic to any of those. We took the ones that were going to work best for delivering the result that needed to be done. And it's the same thing that you're saying right here. You know, if you've got great material or stuff that people are going to want to see or hear about, then they're going to go out and search it. You know, these people are no different than anybody else. They're going to go out and use the web to search out the type of thing that they need. And in this case, you know, your, your client had great content on there. It was obviously something that resonated with these prospects. And they, you know, self-qualified themselves coming in. Uh, that's great. You know, there's nothing, I think it's wonderful. But, you know, there's other issues out there, other things, too, that they need to be doing besides just that one thing, you know, to be able to try to get to people. And, again, the network is is one of the most valuable tools. I've been a networker for a long time, Mike, and mm -hmm. I can just tell you that 98% of my business is done because of my network. It's not done because I'm out there cold calling or I'm doing you know, a big social media blast and all the rest of that stuff. Okay, but uh, a lot of times but when people say networking, a lot of times they mean, well, you should go to, what is it, the uh, one of these uh, local Knights of Columbus meetings and network there, right? Or the mm -hmm. local networking meeting in your town and, and um, uh, what do they call these, board of the business clubs and stuff inside the town. Is that the kind of networking you mean? Well, it's, it's, a, it's an accumulation of a lot of different things. There's a lot of different kinds. Of, you have affinity groups, by way of example, your alumni association or any kind of an affinity group. If you're a gun collector or you happen to be a hunter or you happen to be into soccer, whatever it might be, those kind of things are like-minded people coming together. Now, when you talk about those kind of things, it might be a faith-based organization. It might be a you know, political organization. You have, you have people that are collecting together that have this kind of a, a common interest, right? Mm -hmm. 
Well, people have an affinity to people that have a common interest. So I'm not, you know, I'm pretty agnostic about the kind of things you do. I have categories of that. I teach and coach this stuff. Here's the kind of phase that you want to go to. Here's the kind of things you want to explore going to and not just cutting yourself off because unfortunately people put self limitations on the, on this whole idea uh, of what they're, you know, because they got to get out of the comfort zone to do some of this stuff. You know, I work a lot with financial services people and wealth management and CPAs and all that. I mean, that, that's a crowd that isn't really extroverted, you know, uh, also engineers, architects, people like that. Um, they're not, you know, it's interesting to me though, when they get into a group of people like themselves, Man, oh man! I mean, just sit, stand back, and listen to the conversation that goes on there. It's amazing. Get them out of that element, though, and put them into something else. And man, they clam up. They're you know eating their beans and weenies by the you know in the corner, trying to get out of there as fast as they can. It's that happens. You know, <laughs> that's interesting. That. So <laughs> a big shift that's taken place also then uh, in the last um, twenty years has been this. Um, the, the, not just the internet and the web pages and the blogs where people and search engines where people can find you, but the whole um, social um, uh, web pages like like uh, social sites like LinkedIn and Facebook mm-hmm. and and others. Um, and so there's a lot of talk now about uh, you know social selling and social marketing. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that in the very beginning when when I first right. uh, asked you to introduce yourself. So what's the difference between that kind of stuff and the face-to-face kind of selling skills that you typically work on with clients? Well, again, to, to your point, just like you, the site, you, example you cited where you, they create content on the web page and people went out and found it. You know, the social media platforms right now and the social marketing platforms, what they really do give you is an opportunity to express some expertise with your subject matter expert, uh, for you to comment on things uh, and put that out there in a way that would draw people or interest people in what you had to say or what you're uh, what about. Not some big commercial message because like you, Mike, you know, you're very intellectual and you go deep and, and people are attracted to that if they feel that you're somebody that has credibility. And that's really what that is. It's really taking your persona and putting it out there and making yourself credible to people. Not being a pitch person, not trying to sell them something. Help them to understand what value you can bring to them. And it can be expressed in an opinion. It can be expressed in a white paper. It can mm-hmm. be expressed in a whole lot of different ways. But just think about this. We didn't have that kind of communication. I mean, this is global stuff now. Mm-hmm. You're now able to get out there globally and uh, kind of show your stuff off if you want to. Now, it's not to be bragging about stuff, but if you truly are uh, you know, a subject matter expert, or you have a viewpoint that you want to get across, you have a point of distinction that you want people to know, then, you know, uh, certainly this has really expanded the ability for people to go out there and do that. I mean, you see all kinds of crazy stuff out there now. Yeah. It is amazing. It was a a few years ago, I had a chat with a salesperson, uh, found my website, was real interested in stuff that that we do here. Um, and he confessed to me he was working for this was back when I was in Chicago. He was working mm-hmm. for a, a fairly small company. I guess they maybe had 100 employees and it was a family owned kind of a, a company. And he was expected to go out and make lots of cold calls. And here he mm-hmm. found that he could reach people on LinkedIn. So he was in the office mm-hmm. and he was working his LinkedIn network and he was getting in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> he was getting in trouble because they, the owners wanted him out of the office, right? Yeah. 
and that was a conflict. So, so sometimes yeah. executives, um, just because of the way they think about sales, you know, they, they, they put some blinders on inadvertently, right? Have you seen that? Yeah, without question. I have to tell you, Mike, in all my sales career, my marketing career, the biggest challenges I had were the internal challenges, not the external ones. Mm-hmm. I love getting out and meeting other people. It, it, that's a, it, it, oftentimes, there are these barriers and blockades that block you from doing things you know, internally. And you, you cited this a great example. I work with a lot of entrepreneurial companies, and the entrepreneur isn't a salesperson. They don't understand it. They're usually the innovator, or they started the service or whatever, and they don't understand sales. They don't understand salespeople. And oftentimes, they're their own worst enemies because their perceptions of what that is and the myths that they've been drawn into really block them from really understanding, you know, what it is and also helping facilitate things, you know, get out of the way. My biggest challenge when when I was in sales management and corporate sales management was blocking and tackling for my sales guys with yeah. the people above me. Yeah. You know, it, it, it never ceased to amaze me what an impediment they were to doing business sometimes. It was just... You know, but it was what it was. And well, so you got to be able to navigate that. That's a, that is exactly the experience I had as well, and it's it's a reason why I think that process excellence is one of the most crucial, critical, most powerful tools that any company could employ because it provides the framework for other people who are not familiar with sales and salespeople yep. and how business is done. Uh, you know, in the customer-facing role, it gives them a framework to be able to distinguish value from waste, to be able to say, oh, well, maybe they're not just coin-operated, as the old adage goes, right? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe fewer higher-quality deals does make more sense than a full yep. funnel of low-quality deals, right? And you maybe it. it's not just a salesperson's personality. Um, yep. And, and uh, so, I mean, that's kind of the mission I've been on for almost 20 years now, trying to help executives to define that, those observable things that can tell you whether the sales department is adding value with customers or adding waste. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and I, I applaud you for it, Mike. You know, you've, you've uh, been out there, you know, kind of in a desert shouting to, <laughs> to the rooftops about this kind of thing. <laughs> And, and, you know, you have my undying admiration because I think that the tipping point's coming. More and more of the stuff we're seeing, like you shared in the prior to the interview, you know, these scenario-based things are coming, BI, business intelligence. A lot of that is coming around to this. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get into the analytics and good data, now, you know, as when I was in the data game, you know, it was basically information that you don't turn into knowledge and are, that you can execute on is zero. It's worth zero. Right. right. So having, and that's where I see there's a bit of an issue today because the plethora of information that's out there today, the data it is just unconscionable. I can't even imagine. We had a data facility down in Tyler, Texas that was like a Pentagon. And it housed all of the U.S. Uh, household data. It also had government data and all the businesses back then when I was doing this back in the uh, late 90s. And it was an enormous amount of data. I can't even imagine or even fathom what it would be like today with all the stuff that's on the Internet and all the other data. <laughs> um, well, and, and yes. There and, is a challenge, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's, I like that uh, com- uh, the old comparison, you know, uh, information versus knowledge. And really what you're after is wisdom. 
right? You're after, yeah. you know, what's the best way to create a win for the customer and for us? And that requires yeah. a lot of context and it requires a, a there's a, a lot of um, layers, I guess, and nuances to that. And in a business, you want the value creating part to be baked into the business, not just between the salespeople's ears. Right? Yeah. You want to make it easy for salespeople to create lots of value. That's why a lot of time, you know, when I go into companies, we take the swath of uh, and the approach that anybody that touches that customer is in sales and business development. Yes. So literally, we'll go into the sales department, outside sales, inside sales, customer service. I've even been in the accounting department, you know, training people on certain modules mm-hmm. that we train mm-hmm. that are relevant to their job. Uh, as you know, we implement the buying decision model to uh, the Socratic method. So teaching them and coaching them a Socratic method, also how to understand the, the behavioral style of the person you're dealing with. We use DISC uh, to help them understand that and navigate it. We keep it simple for people to do that. We're not trying to turn them into amateur psychologists. It's amazing. What we found, Mike, is people coming back and said, you know, guys, do you realize what you have here? And I say, well, we think so, but what? I had a guy tell me several years ago, he says, I got my relationship back with my teenage daughter because of what you taught me. Ah, that's these, great. These are life skills, Mike. And that's why I try to tell people, look, this is, this is beyond, this goes well beyond business development, sales or anything. These are life skills. Being able to ask great questions, being able to shut up and listen. Those are the two biggest things. When I lecture at the university, or Northwestern University uh, in their entrepreneur class, I have a whole exercise around this that I do with the kids. And, and I tell them also, if you get this right, you're going to be able to win prizes and money at the bar, you know, by doing this little exercise. And, of course, they're all ears, you know. But those are the two things. I said, there's two basic principles here. If nothing else you take out of here, ask great questions and shut up and listen. Uh, all right. So, so, so we've been going on here for a little over a half yep. an hour. Let, let me ask you this question about that little exercise because I'm intrigued. Is that something that mm-hmm. you could write out in a paragraph or two? Sure. So if people if if people are listening to this podcast and they would like mm-hmm. to uh, find out about that, then yeah. we can post it up on the web page of this podcast. Yep. Um, yep. So you and I will prepare it after the call. Is that fair? Absolutely, absolutely, it's fair. Great. Okay. So and and just in a nutshell, really quickly, what it is is basically I write something on a piece of paper. This has happened to me, you know, down at the university or Northwestern University where I have a whole room full of kids, 70 kids, and I write something on a piece of paper. And before I even explain what this is all about, I said, okay, you got two minutes to ask me any question you want except for one. You can't ask me directly what I wrote on the piece of paper, but you have two minutes to ask me any question you want. I will answer as, as truthfully as I can as to what I wrote on this piece of paper. And, uh, and then I take them through the Socratic method as to how it does. And I got to tell you something, it's profound. It is absolutely profound how it changes the way they do things. This is going to be great, then. This is super. Yeah. So thank you very much for your interest in uh, in uh, talking with me on the Sales Process Excellence podcast. I know that there's a lot of people, especially ones in the Chicago area, perhaps, that might want to know more about Samurai Business Group and what you do. So how could they get a hold of you? Well, it can go hold me several ways. You can, uh, you know, I, they can respond to emails, which is r.lambert at samurai, S-A-M-U-R-A-I-B-I-Z-G-R-P.com. That stands for Samurai Biz Group. You can go out and visit our website, samuraibizgroup.com. 
There's also a free down paper, uh, white paper that you can download. What do customers really want uh, that we have published out there? Um, and also, you can reach me by phone. If they, somebody wants to contact me by phone, they can. 847-922-1498. Super. Super. Rob, thank you very much. And uh, we'll be back with the next edition of the Sales Process Excellence Podcast soon. The Sales Process Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Sales Performance Consultants. Discover how to improve your B2B sales with systems thinking at salesperformance.com.